It's often a bit mystifying how brands magically go viral overnight. Sometimes they make it big, and other times they crash and burn. Is the road to brand fame and a bump to the bottom line worth the risk? I'm Alexis. And I'm Melissa. And we're just a little obsessed with these marketing moments. So join us as we break down the craziest brand stunts, from how the idea sparked to how the heck they pulled it off. Or didn't, and of course, will it stick? Thank you everyone for tuning in today. We have a special episode. We actually are interviewing Bob Roth. He has been a longtime supporter of Will It Stick? And we came to find out he actually was behind the scenes working on the Gatorade Be Like Mike campaign. So we had to have him here today. So say hi, Bob. Hello. Hello, Lex. <laughs> Alexis, and hello, Melissa. Good to see you and meet you in virtual world, if you would. Melissa, yeah. you and I have had a chance to meet in person. And Alexi, hopefully you and I get a chance to meet each other sometime soon. Definitely. Hopefully soon. Essentially, uh, I'm a, uh, a consumer product goods guy. Uh, yep. I, I cut my teeth with the Quaker Oats Company back in 1984. And for People that don't realize this, the Quaker Oats Company had just purchased, prior to me joining, a company called Stokely Van Camp, which in their arsenal was Gatorade. So a lot of people don't know Gatorade was owned by Quaker Oats. Prior to that, it was Stokely Van Camp. And literally within nine months, it was shared with me that it more than paid for itself because Gatorade just was just flying off the shelves and doing really, really well. Such a moneymaker. Yeah. It was such a moneymaker. So I, I spent about 15 years in the consumer product goods world working for Quaker Oats. And then I got promoted to be a regional manager for Gatorade and then the trade marketing manager for Gatorade. And then I launched my career to the West Coast and worked for Dole Packaged Foods. 15 years in the consumer product goods world. And then um, I ventured into what I'm doing today. And I am the managing partner for Cypress Home Care Solutions. We were founded 28 years ago. My brothers and I founded it, and we really created Cypress to really help other families as they are going through this journey of life and caring for their loved ones. And we knew this firsthand because my brothers and I were caregivers for my mom. Shortly after I started with Quaker, literally like six months after joining them, my mother had a massive heart attack and never was quite the same. And my brothers and I found ourselves as caregivers. There weren't home care agencies back then, and we did what we did the best we could. We learned from nurses, we learned from trial and error, and, and it was truly a labor of love. And when mom and dad moved here to Arizona back in 1987, we used to come and visit. And back in 1994, we decided to stand up Cypress Home Care Solutions. My brother Joe ran it for nine years, and I've been running it ever since. Uh, next year will be 20 years at the helm of this company that really is making differences in the lives of the people that we serve. And it's really awesome for me because I get an opportunity to really use the skill sets that I learned when I was working for Quaker and Gatorade and Dole Foods to really help get my message out about Cypress. And I really believe messaging is everything and you need to know who your audience is and be able to cater your message to them. And I feel like I've been able to do that and do it very successfully, not only for Cyprus, but 
really for my industry as a whole, a lot of people don't realize that home care is not home health care. They're very, very different. And in-home care supportive services is something that many older adults need as they go through this journey of life. And many think that Medicare pays for this or their managed care programs pay for it or managed care insurance companies do, and they don't. It's really sad. Uh, as a country, we've done a really horrible job in preparing Americans for aging. We have a lot of people that are home right now that need supportive services and cannot get them because they're very expensive. There are four payer sources. It's either private pay. If you're a veteran, you have VA benefits. If you're on Medicaid and you don't have you know, the means, you know, it, it, you're somewhat destitute, if you would. So you yeah. qualify for Medicaid. And then if you were fortunate enough to buy long-term care insurance, that pays for the services that we provide. So I love the journey I'm on. Uh, I do miss the day-to-day CPG world, you know, the yeah. consumer product goods world. But uh, I really get a lot out of listening to your podcast and really learning about some of these other companies and what they do. Uh, and I, I really like to hear some of the companies and and some of these stories that you're able to bring to us, our, your listeners. Oh, awesome. Well, we appreciate that. So I have a the first question. What is your favorite Gatorade flavor? You know, I love the lemon lime. That's, that's the, that's the, that's the OG, right? It's yeah. the OG and, and I really, really like it. I, you know, everyone ventures off to try these other flavors, but uh, lemon lime is still my favorite. Awesome. <laughs> so good. And so before awesome. we jump into my next question, I want to ask you, so I'm sure you listened to our episode on Gatorade and Be Like Mike. What did we get wrong? <laughs> is there anything that you were like, ah, oh, no. Wow. There, you, know, <laughs> you, you got most of it right. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, Alexis and Melissa, the thing I love about what you guys do is that at the end of each one of your episodes, you give the attributions and you really do a lot of research. So I did learn a couple things that I did not know. I will tell you that Robert Cade, who was the founder of Gatorade, Wow, it is amazing. I I did not, and I think you guys gave a stat all the way up to 2015. That was the last quoted stat. But I mean, it's in the billions of dollars that Robert Cade and his family and University of Florida has made. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So insane. It really is insane. It really, really is insane. But uh, it's a great product. It's a great story. It's amazing that its legacy still continues to this day. Yeah, totally. I want you to tell us, you told us in the beginning a little bit about your role in the CPG space and at Quaker Oats, but talk to us now about your role at Gatorade and specifically like being there during the Be Like Mike campaign. What were you doing? What was your title? What was your involvement? I was the Eastern Region Trade Marketing Manager, and I was responsible for the dollars that we would spend from marketing to the trade. So my my responsibility was really all the entire cold channel. So grocery, I had a grocery counterpart, but I handled all the other channels. So it was convenience store, it was mass merch, it was wholesale clubs, food service, anywhere else the Gatorade was sold, that was my responsibility. So the Be Like Mike campaign was so incredible because Michael Jordan was like the most visible person in the world. I mean, 
I grew up in the 60s and 70s and Muhammad Ali was the most mm-hmm. visible person. Well, Michael Jordan was that same, he had that same type of impact worldwide and certainly in this country. And, and to have his endorsement, I mean, we had Michael Jordan on the labels of Gatorade. We had Michael Jordan cutouts, life-size cutouts, cardboard cutouts. That yeah. We, we would run promotions with, with convenience stores and if they bought enough Gatorade to display, they could get one of the cutouts, you know, lifelikes. And I had so many people that wanted them, like buyers for convenience store chains said, hey, can you get me one so I can give it to my kid? You know, so Uh, everyone wanted a life-size cutout of Michael Jordan in his Bulls uniform. But we also had the USA Olympic uniform as well. So it was really cool. And then we had like Papa shots. I mean, uh, this was really expensive, but if a convenience store or if a mass merch or wholesale club bought enough of that, they could have a Papa shot too, which was a lot of fun. And then, so cool. <laughs> and and then of course point of purchase. You know we would have the the ice barrel with the Gatorade logo with Michael Jordan on that. So point of purchase. So we would sell a lot of Gatorade that way as well. Awesome. So I have a question: Is like the Gatorade Powerade rivalry real? Like, or does Gatorade just crush Powerade? No, it was real. I mean, what's interesting, and you guys shared a little bit about what I shared with you in your episode. So, I mean, we were really in big time talks with Coca-Cola and it was very secreted. The controller for Gatorade was a friend of mine. I'll, I'll give you his first name, Harry. Harry was a great guy. He tipped me off on another one and we can talk a little bit about Snapple. Because Snapple oh, yeah. Snapple was bought by Quaker Oats. So we can talk about that later. But he tipped me off that Coca-Cola and Gatorade were in very, very deep talks. And there was a lot of information that was shared back and forth. And you shared this in your episode that Michael Jordan was Coca-Cola. He was a Coca-Cola guy. And and when things fell apart, I believe, and I wasn't on the inside, I believe that's when Gatorade amped up to try to go get Michael Jordan and get him to sign on with Gatorade because they wanted to stick it back to Coca-Cola. And literally about nine months after the talks broke up, Powerade emerged. Funny how that works. And Powerade, the flavors they came out were were the same exact flavors. Now, you have to remember, we're going back to the early 90s, late 80s. And the flavors that we had were lemon, lime, orange, and fruit punch. I mean, that was really it. I mean, we broadened that after that. But that's what Powerade came out with. And they went toe-to-toe with us. Now, what's really interesting is the beverage business is very competitive the big guys play really dirty. And I am telling you really, really dirty because Gatorade, we we tried to do fountain and we didn't have fountain machines. We also didn't have direct store delivery systems. We used warehouse delivery. So we would sell to, for instance, we would sell to 7-Elevens and 7-Elevens were distributed to by Southland, which 7-Eleven owned. And Southland had distribution centers all across the country. So Gatorade would ship to Southland. Southland would ship it directly to the store. Now, Coca-Cola and Pepsi, you guys see all their trucks. They're all Mm -hmm. local. They're bottling them all local. They have local reps. So they would go into those stores. And first of all, the cooler sets that we would have at the time before Powerade emerged, we would have a full door it would be five or seven shelves with all these different facings. Next thing you know, we were losing facings. Matter of fact, 
we would get down to like two facings, two shelves, and they would take like the five below it because their guys were in their stores every single week and they were pulling our stuff out and they were putting their stuff in. And then I was talking just quickly about the fountain piece. They would take our fountain Gatorade. There's a convenience store called Wawa, and that is a true fact. It's, mm-hmm. in, it's in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, yeah. and Delaware, <laughs> Maryland, called Wawa. We had Gatorade. I got that placed in the fountain system, and we had lemon lime there. And the local DSD direct store delivery guys, they would cut my line. They would either cut my line or they put carbonation in the line. I mean, they would do everything to sabotage us. So. Oh my gosh, that's, that's crazy. The, the big guys that. play really dirty. I'm just yeah, I'm wow. Wow, that's insane. It wasn't just Coke and Pepsi going at it. They were going at us now, too. Yeah, wow. That's crazy. Well, now going into like you're you're working at the growths, you're you're working on Gatorade, and they've signed Michael Jordan. They stole him from Coke. We talked about how. You guys came in strong with like the 10 year deal he wanted that was really fair. And Coke tried to be like, you know, well, we'll just offer him whatever. And then tried to backtrack it. But Michael Jordan and his agent went with Quaker Oats and with Gatorade. What was it like behind the scenes when he got signed on in the company? And also, what was it like when they started iterating on this commercial idea? Because I imagine even if you weren't working on the production of the commercial or like in the advertising part, like. Did they run ideas by the whole company? What was that like? Well, first of all, I, I did not get inside the tent. They did not let me in. But I, I first of all, and second of all, I will tell you that we were all really excited to get Michael Jordan. Because as, as you recall, I mean, he'd already started his path of winning NBA championships. And yeah. he had elevated the game to a level that no one had ever seen before. I mean, the dunk contest, that was the Gatorade. NBA dunking contest. Oh. He he won. I mean, there are great pictures of him, you know, just taking off from the foul line, like the old days, like uh, Dr. J just yeah. taking off and just slam dunking. I mean, just, it was so spectacular. I mean, just signing him and putting his name as right next to Gatorades was really, really big. So we were all really excited by that. So the collateral pieces that I talked about before that would be in the store, the collateral pieces that we would use to present to buyers all had Michael Jordan all over. So he was his face was universally known and and it was widely accepted and it just enhanced our brand even that much more. So it was really exciting. And that first commercial that came out, I mean, hit a home run. I mean, both of you guys really walked through the the jingle and how that all came about. I learned a lot with that. I did not know how they came up with that. I So I, I just want you to know, listening to your podcast, I learned a lot about Gatorade. Oh, that's cool. It came up with that jingle. But but the Be Like Mike jingle, just it hit a home run and it hit a home run because it really focuses on grassroots. Grassroots yeah. marketing is the best. And when you really think about it, and the two of you know this, is who makes the buying decisions in the grocery stores? Mom Moms. Moms. <laughs> So if kids and my wife would take the kids shopping, and I'm sure you two take your kids shopping, and if they were watching that commercial, and if they were athletic and playing soccer, baseball, or basketball, they would want Gatorade. So what we did was we we had a whole athletic channel where we would support the uh, Pee Wee Baseball Leagues, the football leagues, 
We would supply coolers. We would supply cups and product for free. So we were already doing that. And then all of a sudden, we put Michael Jordan into the fold. Now we're buying that stuff off the retail shelves because Mike is drinking it. And look what Mike can do. And if I can drink Gatorade and be like Mike, how awesome would that be? So yeah, the jingle was great. The video was great showing these little kids with Michael Jordan playing. It was a fabulous commercial. One that I don't know if it ever could could be topped. I mean, it was really good. Obviously, that campaign was iconic. And I remember, I mean, I followed Michael Jordan back in the day, too, and I loved him. And I remember that campaign. But what do you think about Gatorade's advertising now? It's so hard to compare to that campaign. Well, it is hard to compare, but I will tell you, I get moved by some of their commercials. They're not 30 seconds, and some of them are not 60 seconds. So they ran the commercials around Derek Jeter when he retired. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if you guys saw that commercial where it was, I mean, he he gets into a cab and he's driving to Yankee Stadium and it's all black and white. And you see all these fans on the side, and then all of a sudden when he gets to Yankee Stadium. And he opens up the door. It's colorized. I mean, just. Oh, I just got goosebumps. I know. Me too. It was his last game, or at least they were depicting it was his last game. It was just so phenomenal. And they they did the same with Serena Williams just around the U.S. Open. So I think they're very thoughtful in the way they do them. I think it's really cool when they do the black and white and they show the sweat and color. Yeah, I love it. That's my favorite thing. I'm like, smartest thing they did was colorize the sweat. Yes. So I, I think their commercials are absolutely brilliant. You guys know some of the advertising agencies. So wh- who we used back in the day was Bayer Best Vanderwall. They, yeah. they were our ad agency that we used. Our rep, her name was Gail. I can't remember her last name. I got to know her, but just fascinating what they did and, and how they pulled it all together. I don't believe they're still using that firm, but whoever they're using, they're they're doing a really good job. I like the commercials. Yeah. There's something you told me on our first chat when I was like preparing for the episode that I thought was so interesting and it didn't really make it in to the episode because it didn't have a good spot, but I want you to talk about it. So you said you came to find out Gatorade really focused on hiring ex-athletes or athletes as employees almost exclusively. Can you talk about that and why that was a smart or not a smart strategy? First of all, I did not even know. And and I, I mentioned Gail from Bear Vest and Vanderbilt. Gatorade threw a 25th anniversary celebration in Orlando. 800 people descended on Orlando. And they were involved in marketing, sales, uh, operations, distribution, you name it. All these folks dropped in. Uh, There was a guy by the name of George Plimpton. I don't know if you remember George. He wrote the paper, uh, the paper Lion, I think it was. A great orator. He was our he was our MC. We had a number of athletes come and talk to us. So here we were in this amphitheater, and I'm sitting next to Gail, and I'm watching all these people walk in, and I'm looking around, and there's nobody that looks like they're out of shape. Everyone looks like they're in really good condition. And and I leaned over, and I know it's not politically correct. I just said, do you realize there's nobody here that's overweight? And she said to me, you don't know? And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, Gatorade only hires people that were former athletes. I'm like, get out of here. And she goes, did you play ball? And I said, yeah, I played in college. I was a lacrosse player. And she goes, how about the people in your office? And I went around, you know, Steve Mole played lacrosse. Uh, Todd Keating played college golf. 
Ron Brown was a college baseball player. Brett Moritz, who worked on our athletic channel, was a former NFL player and college football player. And I was like, you're right. I didn't realize that. I think part of that is because I think being an athlete really prepares you for life, especially if you play in team sports. You know how important it is to be part of a team. And I think that's what Gatorade was really looking for, was people that had that mindset, that training, that discipline and brought that into Gatorade. So I learned that from Gail. Gail said, you didn't know. And I I really did not realize that they all hired former athletes. That's interesting. It's so funny because we have, we've had a few athletes and we have one right now. She's a swimmer and her dedication to swimming and like her routine and like perfection and her competitiveness. It just like, she is such a phenomenal employee. Boy, we love her. Her name's Emily. And she's the drive this girl has is phenomenal. It's like inspires everyone. And of course, she's a team player. Like she gets everyone pumped up. And but I, I think that philosophy is great. Whenever I get a resume and like someone says that they were a coach or an athlete in college, and I, I do ask those questions and I get really excited because because of their work ethic. A big shout out to her. I think that's really cool. I, I, I will tell you so much of it goes into preparation, right? When you're an athlete, you have to study films, you have to study playbooks, you have to really study tendencies of your own your own teammates as well as your competitors. So a lot of that training and that a lot of that discipline is innate and that's crosses over really nice in business. So yeah. I definitely aspire to that too. If I have two candidates that are really close to one another and if one of us is a former athlete, I'm I'm leaning more towards that. that yeah. yeah. I have a question for you. Did you ever get to meet Michael Jordan? Honestly, I got a chance to be in the room with him. I did not get a chance to meet him, but I did get a chance to meet his wife at the time, Juanita. Mm-hmm. So in 1991, the All-Star Game was in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't hold me to that. It could be 92, but I think it was 91. And we were up in the Gatorade Sky Suite. Michael was doing participating in the Home Run Derby. There was a celebrity event, so he was in the dugout. So I got a chance to spend about four and a half hours <laughs> with Juanita, making sure that she got taken care of. She got all the food that she needed, drinks that she needed. But I never really got a chance to shake the man's hand. I was in the same room as him, but never got a chance to really get to know him or meet him. So as like a former CPG marketer, are there any other campaigns just not within Gatorade, but that it really impressed you right now? Wow. Um, I'll have to come back to that. <laughs> yeah, you got that's a hard well, one. I know. Well, well, part of it is that I, I don't think I watch as much TV today. I mean, television yeah. is, is, I mean, we're getting information and we're getting stuff from our phones. We're getting it from our computers. We're binge watching things. As I shared with you before we started the show, I talked about a different podcast where I just fast forward through the commercials. I don't really have to sit through them anymore. And, and back in the day, you're watching your programming, you couldn't fast forward, you couldn't rewind. So I'll have to think about other campaigns. But um, you know, yeah. that's so interesting because even as a marketer, I don't watch a lot of TV and I watch Netflix and everything with no commercials. But I feel like what I and, you know, I obviously read ad week and ad age and things like that. So that's where I learn a lot about campaigns, but I feel like I learn more about them, like in the wild, like natively when I'm out and I'll take pictures and I'm like, that campaign was so cool. But it's funny because if you ask me that question, I'd feel the same way. Like, I don't know, there's so many campaigns, but right now there's not one that's like 
gosh, they, they've nailed it. Right. Yeah. Too many yeah. options. There, there's there so much s- noise, obviously, right? There is. And, and you know what? I learn a lot from your podcast um, in terms <laughs> of campaigns. I mean, I don't get a chance to watch and, and hear and see some of the stuff that's going on. You know, I will tell you the one that always stands out, and I haven't seen one in a while, but the Chick-fil-A ones I thought were always really cool. I always I always enjoyed the, uh, the cows, billboards, the billboards. You know what's ironic about that, Bob? We just recorded Chick-fil-A and the Eat More Chicken campaign yesterday, yesterday. and it's coming out next week. Perfect. I, I, I got to tell you, it was such a clever campaign and, and just the way they went about it and did it was really cool. There was a local... Uh, a local ad company here, and, and you probably remember them. And I, I don't want to give them press because they're not even around anymore, but they worked with a consignment company. Mm-hmm. And I thought their their campaigns, there was one that, that was a billboard one night stand. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That thought, billboard for my sister's closet. Yeah, that's so interesting. I thought yeah. that was so clever. I mean, just play on words and they put a picture up. And I know you did the one with Brooklyn betting. I thought that was really yeah. cool. Yeah, Tuck the Needle and the Brooklyn Bedding Competition. It's just like, I love when a brand really does something that is so unexpected and outside of the traditional playbook. And that's what Chick-fil-A did. And you'll hear about it. They couldn't afford to compete with other big, the Burger Kings and the McDonald's ad budget. So when they went to freestanding locations, they had to be super creative with less money. And they went way outside of the traditional fast food advertising playbook to create a campaign that no one had seen anything like it before. And it worked it did. tremendously. It's it really crazy. did. And, and, and it's amazing how this company still survives and they're not open on Sundays. I know. Yeah. Six days a week of revenue and everyone else is seven. It's, that's bananas to me, but <laughs> I love it. Well, this was a joy and a pleasure. Yes. I want to know before we go, is there anything else that we need to know about your experience at Gatorade, you know, the Be Like Mike campaign or... Anything else just with your amazing experience you've had in your life so far? That's such an open-ended question. And I will tell you that Gatorade is a sexy brand. And it was a brand that I didn't ever have to sell. I mean, it sold itself. And and for me, it was the way, you know, I talked about early on in our conversation about messaging. It was messaging it right and packaging it in the right manner, right? So we always wanted to get the end-all displays. We wanted to do the buy one, get one freeze, the BOGOs. We always wanted to do those type of promotions to kind of really amp up and run Gatorade out the door, right? Our end of year was the end of June. We always were pushing Gatorade out the door, trying to get all kinds of promotions out to the to the retailers. You know, it was one thing to do the pantry loading. That's what we would call it into the warehouses. But you had to do the pull through to get it out of the pantry and get it into the consumer's hands. And, and we had to get clever and we had to really come up with ideas really how to get consumers to buy it. And the best way to do it was point of sale type of promotions. You know, like I said, BOGOs or price points or a cutout of Michael Jordan, a lifelike stand-up cutout. But I will tell you, I'd, I'd love to come back and talk to you about Snapple because Snapple, yes. Snapple was really interesting because that same guy, Harry, that I was telling you about, he calls me up one day and he says to me, he goes, Peter and Peggy. Now, Peter was the president of Gatorade and Peggy was the vice president of marketing. They're coming to New York, but you don't know this. They're coming to talk to Snapple. And I'm like, really? We're looking at Snapple? And he's like, yes. And literally for about three weeks, there was conversation that was going on. 
And then there was nothing. And I called Harry like two months later. And I said, what's the deal? Anything happened to Snapple? He goes, no. He goes, they're walking away from it. I'm like, why? And that was back when the NLEA label came out. You know, the yep. label that has all the ingredients and stuff. Nutrition, all that, yeah. yeah. That didn't exist prior to like 1992 or 91. You know, it wasn't around. So Snapple had on the label, all natural. And Harry said, mm. it's not all natural. And Quaker's getting really nervous about that. And then Harry says to me, they're also worried that the Jewish mafia is involved. <laughs> uh, really? For real? That's what he told me. And I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? So right. literally they had a chance. And I know the number was somewhere in the neighborhood of two to $300 million that they were going to pick up Snapple for. They had a chance to pick it up then. And they literally bought it three or four years later from Thomas. Oh gosh, Thomas Cook. I think I, I can't remember who the guy that was owned it. And they paid $1.7 billion for it. Oh my God. If they had only just made and, the decision earlier and then like made the changes about to the label and just to be more comfortable with it. Wow. And then if you do this episode on Snapple, they ended up selling it years later for about 300 million and they took about a 1.4 billion dollar billion dollar loss. Oh my god. So all that money they made Quaker made on Gatorade. Gatorade. They they threw out the door with Snapple. I mean, they were late. They should have bought it early cuz they could have bought it for a really good price. Uh Thomas Lee. Thomas Lee Thomas was Lee. the one that owned Snapple at the time and Thomas Lee sold it to him for 1.7 billion. You can do the research. You do that episode, I'd love to talk to you back on that. But Harry was my my man. We used to play golf together. He gave me some inside track when Peggy and, and Peter came to visit New York. And then it never, wow. never materialized. And then it materialized years later. Crazy. Awesome. Wow. It's so crazy. Well, thank you, Bob, so much for being a guest today and for your time and your energy. Um, and thank you all for listening so much. You can Thanks. find more information at willitstickpodcast.com. We'd love for you to leave us a review, tell a friend, you know, all the things, right, Lex? Right, and follow us wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever. Keep yep. doing and the great Bob. work, guys. You guys are Thank awesome. You. Thank your, you, Bob. Love your podcast. Take Bye. care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.